Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Calling Tassetti. Turn on your radio I know we had some words last time But that was so long ago I got your message It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders network Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders Come and find yours Transmissions I'm moving, waiting to be found and I'm building rockets This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 654. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Bouncing in for another fantastic show. Tell you what's coming in today's show. We have Elysium Fields by Aaron Moskalik. And it is our very own Amy H. Sturgis. Yes, Amy's hello, lass. With looking back at genre history. That's all coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now, first up, first up, <laughs> I want to give you my reaction to... WandaVision, the new kind of the Disney, the, you know, the Avengers TV series that's on Disney Plus. The daughter subscribes to Disney Plus, so I, I get it that way. When I first put that first episode on, it took me, I mean, it's about a 26 minute episode. It took me oh, at least in the span of about four hours to complete it. I'd watch a little bit, I just. I, I, it was almost making us like, just like so. What? What is this? And the the reviews were like, out of this world, fantastic, great. And I was like, am I missing something? Is this like the Emperor's new clothes? Do I not see what everyone you know? Or, or does everyone not see what I'm seeing? That this is just like bewitched from the fifties, black and white, but. Oh, the old fella was led down the trap there and didn't see it coming. And now, yes, I think it's, no spoilers, but it's 
there's a few episodes and then it all clicks. Do you know what I mean? And then you think, ah, yeah, bugger. Right. And now I can't wait for each episode. So let us know. Just send us an email, starshipsover at gmail.com. If anyone's watched it, what was the first, it was that first initial impression. I just thought, mother chucker, what's going on here? You know what I mean? It was just, I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. I kept stopping it and walking away and thinking, is this, is this, is this all it is? Well, you know, mm mm-hmm. And the John Scalzi, fall, is it Fallen Empire or something? Empire. I'm loving that, yes. Now, that took, because I came off the back of to, to Sleep in a Sea of Stars, I think it was, that novel. So, you know, when you... And it's a weird thing, that, to kind of jump straight into, the, like, another swimming pool head first and try and get used to the kind of the waters. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> way of describing it. So... Names were coming at us all over the place, and they are peculiar names. But, you know, I kind of had to just stick with it. In the first, I would say an hour was like wading through treacle for us. And it, it was purely that, it was purely my thought. You know what I mean? Collapse and Empire by Scalzi. You know what I mean? So it was my total, my thing. I just went from one to another and... Because once you're into it, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's a great, you know what I mean? And it's got that quirky, scalzy kind of dialect, dialogued, you know, like pace, you know, just mannerism with the kind of the characters. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're quite funky characters as well. So some of them are just unreal and brilliant, to be honest. So I'm loving that. And like I say, I just jumped full in and bought the three books on Audible with three spare tokens I had. I hadn't bought any and used me tokens up for a long while there. So I'm I'm now into that and it's lovely again, just just losing yourself in the kind of a different world. Fantastic. So are you gonna lose yourself in Aaron's story? Aaron Muskelik Muskelik. I think that's Aaron. <laughs> and like I say, it's an original to Starship Sofa. It's Elysium Fields. Aaron sits, starts his dear writing speculative fiction in Southfield, Michigan, before swiveling his chair from his work from home station. <laughs> he has published stories in Nature, Perillion Science Fiction, amongst others. And you can visit Aaron at his website, aaronmolskalik.com. Probably come over and click the link, to be honest. This story is narrated by Anthony Babbitton. Anthony is an aspiring voice actor who looks slightly, just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Farfetch Fables, Tales to Terrify, and The Cursed Inn. So, the Starship Sofa is very proud to present... Elysium Fields by Aaron Moskalik Planets so primitive, yet powerful. The air sample flooded Joah's helmet. He drank in the sweet hay and lilac as his gloved hand caressed a lock of hair. A single strand floated into the grass. Laura, I wish you could see this. White sheep dotted the horizon-to-horizon pasturage of Arcadia green and purple under an azure sky. Synth's voice hissed in Joe's headset. Say again, Lander. Transient nature out. Joe sighed. Knock it off, Synth. It's only the two of us for 
ten parsecs. The subspace crackle conveyed Synth's annoyance. Which is why we need to be cautious. I'm picking up foreign volatiles in your air regen. Recall for diagnostics. Joa wheeled the drill rig ten meters from the lander and activated it. Relax, it's a sterilized sample. Ten hours to core down ten kilometers. He set an alert. Meanwhile, he'd trek over to the remains of the Cronus. The lumbering generation ship towered like a rounded Egyptian pyramid over the otherwise flat plain. We've talked about this, Joa. It's a serious protocol breach. One more and this mission is scrapped. Copy? Roger that. Arguing with ex-military was futile. The one only knew he'd tried. And Synth was right. Planets with established ecosystems were never as vulnerable as they seemed. The trick was to suss out their defenses before... Synth had attenuated to a buzz. I know you miss her. Laura. The pain would soften with time. And activity. Joa set out for the Cronus. We need a win, is all. And I have a feeling about this planet. He fed grasses and forbs into his analyzer as he went. Are you getting my uplink? DNA is 99.8% Earth compatible. The usual dross, nothing of value. Arcadia's sun, 51 Pegasi, was a mainline yellow and approaching its zenith. Joa had six hours of daylight. That's still 0.2% alien. Your genome is 0.1% alien, not counting the horror of your gut flora, and small wonder given all the worlds you visited with your sloppy technique. The light gravity allowed Joa to lope at a steady clip. I'm just saying, the settlement died, but the settlers' flora and fauna survived. Something got them. Something subtle, sophisticated. Whatever it is, it'll fetch yottabytes on Port Zeta. That was Laura's theory, anyway. They'd searched half a dozen lost settlements together for exotic biologicals. A few novel viruses and bacteria kept them funded, but never the big score Laura envisioned. Then came the Kruger mission. What if it's more sophisticated than us, like on Kruger? Joa's back tightened. Synth never brought up what happened to Laura, but sometimes she nibbled around the edges trying to draw him out. He loosened his jaw, kept it light. No risk, no reward. Movement caught Joa's eye, and he blinked on the heads-up display. Dogs. Five of them, spread in a semicircle and hidden by the grass. He stopped his run and unholstered his trank. The lead dog emerged. These beasts had grown to bull-sized in the low gravity, and without humans around they'd be fearless and feral. Joa dialed the dose to Max and fired. The dog yipped, then charged. Joa questioned his choice of weapon as the dog's teeth gnashed closer, but it stumbled and slumped to a stop at his feet. With their leader down, the other dogs hung back. He dispatched them with four more shots, then changed the pistol settings to biopsy and took a sample. Still 99.8% Earth genome, Synth informed him. Get a scat sample if you can. Later. I want to scout the Cronus before it's dark. Joa loped off again, keeping a closer eye on his heads up. The Cronus rose from the plain as he approached, an artifact of the planet's small size and close horizon. Roger that, 
I'll grab some R&R while you transit. Call me when you arrive. Transient nature out. Joa passed ruins of windmills and barns, houses and sheds, train tracks and grain elevators. He did not slow. The settlement's tail started and ended on its generation ship. It always did. Half a click out, a high-slatted fence encircled the ship. Joa pushed on a gate and it opened without protest, but closed behind with a clang. It would not open from the inside, not without forcing it. Designed to keep people in, then. The guard towers, facing inward, confirmed his conjecture. Joa shrugged. Onward. No bodies. No skulls or bones. No cemeteries or mausoleums. Cremation, then, or interment on the Cronus. These ships became sacred objects to the settlers. Or so Joa surmised. He'd never interviewed one. No one had. Planets were a failed concept for habitation. Bishop rings and McKendry cylinders accounted for 99% of humanity. An advanced spatial engineering would soon make even these structures obsolete. But planets' immense age and size did make them factories of novel biologicals par excellence. Or so Joa told the bitlenders. But he was drawn by something else. A man belonged at the bottom of a gravity well, drinking yellow star juice straight from the tap and fighting for his place in a world filled with mystery and history. The buildings closed in, ramshackle affairs devoid of aspiration and reeking of desperation. The alleys between them tangled together, dirt paths gone to seed. Someone in a white flowing dress flitted round a corner. Joa flicked on his external speaker. Wait! His heart beat his feet faster. Human life on a planet, the most exotic find of all. He rounded corner after corner, the figure always just ahead. She stopped in a small, weedy park of rusted playscapes and turned. Joa gasped. Laura? He dropped to his knees. How? Laura smiled. A slight breeze ruffled her finger-length brown hair. I've missed you, Joa. You... died. Joa tried to blink away the memory, her punctured suit. He brought her back to the transient nature, stripped her suit away, his hands trembling, slipping, clumsy inside the hazmat. Her face was the last to go, dissolving into a red pool of goo. He'd scanned and double-scanned her remains, but the decomposition had been total. Nothing, not even a peptide just water and base molecules. He'd airlocked everything anyway and did a deep sanitized protocol on the ship. There's no death, Joa. Laura spread her arms. A gust fluttered her gown like butterfly wings. She closed her eyes, her face reposed. Only rebirth. Joa doubted his eyes, blurred as they were. He closed them and hit audio playback. Only the wind whispered. He reopened his eyes. Laura was gone, if she'd ever been. He was seeing things. He should call Synth. No. Synth would scrap the mission. Joa needed this one. The Cronus pulled at him. The shadows had lengthened as the sun lowered. Time was short. The generation ship, pocked by its travels and rusted in its repose, loomed. Vegetation had crawled halfway up its slopes to cower before its gleaming crystal peak. 
The debris of an aborted civilization lay thick at its foot. Joa picked his way through, befuddled. This was where it ended, but there were no signs of violence, or even endeavor, just twisted expression, surreal and devoid of function. These people had abandoned survival well before their demise. At last, the Cronus itself, its lower bay open, an iron cave of echoing vastness lit by blue-tinted overheads and empty of the largesse it had bestowed upon this world. Joa's headset crackled to life. Transient nature to lander, do you copy? Joa jumped before remembering himself. That's a go. Synth sounded peeved. Your twenties inside the Cronus. Affirmative. Joa's boots clonked their way toward a bay of doors. I'm looking for a data link now. Hopefully the elevators in this lump still work. All generation ships were laid out the same. Historical data would be held in the mid-decks where the shielding was strongest. Did you enjoy your nap? I did some research. Joa punched the button on the first elevator. It glowed. A good sign. Go again. What research? Synth responded in a rush. The Kruger mission logs. Something's not adding up. Who is the eye in the sky? The doors swooshed open. Now's not the time, Synth. Joa jabbed 75. The time would have been when I first signed on, but I wanted to be respectful. My mistake. The acceleration started with a jerk. Joa braced himself as his stomach sank. I'm not following you. You told me you were I and Laura was ground on that mission. Seemed backwards to me, given your skill sets, but I figured that's why things went sideways. The logs, however, tell a different story. You were ground like you always are. The whole last day of the mission is encrypted, however. Synth slowed. How did Laura really die, Joa? The elevator's sudden stop threw Joa to the floor. The lights on Deck 75 buzzed and flickered a sickly green. He crawled out and braced himself against the wall. I went ground when Laura asked for my assistance. He could see her between the pulses of light holding her torn suit together amongst Kruger's red rocks. Joa, Synth's voice hardened. I can't trust you if you won't tell me the truth. Joa forced himself up. The buzzing made him unsteady. It was in his skull. He stumbled between towering racks of ancient electronics, making his way toward Laura. The drill bit had bound in the rock and the shaft shattered. She'd only made it down a kilometer. He reached her side. It's okay. I'm here. I'll get you home. Just give me the encryption key, Joa. Copy? Adonis, Laura whispered. Resurrect me. I'm scrapping the mission, Joa. I need you back on the lander ASAP. Do you copy? Take the data, Laura said. From the core sample, we found... the mother load. Joa shook his head. I need to get you home. Laura gripped his hand through their suits. I only... chance. Joa nodded and jacked into the drill rig. Or was it the Cronus's memory bank? The strobing light flipped between worlds. Laura began to melt. The red flux, the settlers called it. 
Laura had Joa's face. Or was Laura watching Joa melt? Settlers often saw victims after they were gone, shimmered on the dew in the dawn. Ghosts. Feared at first, then envied. Join us, they whispered. Soon all had. Joa would, too. He had what they needed. They had what he needed. They would all be born again. Joa, do you copy? Panic. Synth never panicked. Go again, transient. The lights shut down, then with a clunk came back on full white and without flicker or buzz. Laura was gone. The settlers were gone. I'm sending you a visual. We've got to get you out of there. Joa clicked on the heads up. The cronus was displayed in the middle. Thousands of red dots encircled it, converging as he watched. He zoomed in. Each dot was a dog running full speed. Danger cleared the strange visions from before. He shook his head to clear his thoughts. Move the lander. We'll have to abandon the drill rig. Roger that. I've uplinked the data already. Rendezvous cords are on your display. A flashing blue dot appeared on the map, just outside the Cronus. Got it. Moving out. Joa jabbed at the elevator button. It lit, but the door didn't open. The power cycle earlier must have reset the cars to ground. Meanwhile, the red dots were getting near the rendezvous point. Firearm or sonic weapon? Given the numbers, sonic. He unholstered it and dialed the frequency to dog whistle range and gave it a test blast. Even with noise cancellation engaged, his ears tingled. Lower frequencies travel farther. He dialed it back to the edge of discomfort, 20 kilohertz, and shut it off. The elevator opened. Leaving now. I'll be coming in hot. What's the lander's ETA? Ninety seconds, Synth replied. The elevator was no smoother going down, but Joa was ready for the jolt and burst from crouch to run as the doors opened. Not that it mattered. The red dots swirled about the blue as if the dogs knew where the lander would land. Joa crept to the edge of the Cronus's hangar. Dozens of thousand-pound brutes watched him, their teeth sheathed and their eyes empty. Joa freed his sonic weapon and raised it over his head. The effect was instantaneous and... underwhelming. Their eyes flickered and some whimpered with heads between paws. A few bared fangs. None ran. Joa approached with caution. A cloud of dust behind the dogs announced the arrival of the lander. They solidified their ranks, blocking his progress. Joa inched his hand toward his firearm. The nearest dog growled. Joa desisted. His teeth ached. Pain throbbed behind his ears. He shut off the weapon. The dogs stood taller and their fur smoothed, but their eyes remained impassive. Synth, they won't let me through. Are you in immediate danger? Joa backed up a step. The dogs stayed put. No, they aren't attacking. It's like something is controlling them. Something that wants me to stay. The lander doesn't have fuel for more maneuvers, not without compromising safety margins. How are your supplies? Joa paced around the lander. The dogs shuffled their ranks to maintain their wall. A couple of days' air and water. Longer if I sterilize local resources. Dusk was fading to night. 
No, do not breach containment. Copy? Joe's head pounded and his legs strained to lift his boots. Affirmative. I'm heading back to the Cronus to get rest. Maybe things will be clearer in the morning. Not that sleeping in a suit could be considered rest. He backed away from the dogs. They did not follow. Joa allowed himself to relax. If they wanted to eat him, he'd be scat by now. No need to ascend into the haunted bowels of the ship. He settled with his back against a pillar near the center of the hangar and set an alarm. Good night, Synth. Joa out. A rough-hewn table groaned under its bounty. Melons, shanks of mutton, round loaves of still-steaming bread, fruit-filled pastries, meat-filled pies, and barrels and barrels of ale. Men and women garbed in loose-fit linen feasted with fingers and flagons. The sun bathed them in honey. A woman turned. Her face was Laura's. Her smile welcomed him. She offered Joa a flagon that held a liter of frothy amber. The other women had Laura's face as well. So did the men. They talked and laughed together. The sun refused to sink. The food remained plentiful, and their bellies never filled. What is this place? Joa asked at last. Laura put a finger to his lips. Wait with us a while. Tomorrow we awaken. Sitars, drums, and flutes were produced, and music burst forth, strange and discordant, buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Joa sat up with a start, the alarm bleeding in his ears. A dog prodded him with its saucer-sized nose. He pushed it away and it sat back on its haunches with a grave but patient air. Joa groaned. His back ached. His neck wouldn't straighten. His legs were asleep. He wanted to rip off his helmet. He relieved himself instead. The warmth ran into a pouch across his belly. Soothing, but not the odors from the body of his suit or the stickiness of his skin. He sucked in a mouthful of tepid water and activated his mic. Synth, I'm awake. Do you copy? The radio was silent. Joa struggled up, stomping his feet until feeling returned. The dog remained impassive until he finished, then stood and took a few steps toward the hangar entrance. It looked back at Joa. There's a dog here. It wants me to follow it. Joa steadied himself against the pillar, then nodded to the dog and started walking. Silver light set the early morning mist aglow, dazzling Joa until a breeze broke it into swirling shards to melt in the slanting sun. The dog pack of last evening was gone. Something else was missing. Synth, where's the lander? Over. Joa's dog guide sniffed the ground where the lander had been, then looked back at Joa, its eyes sad. Synth, do you copy? Joa noticed a red light blinking on his heads up. A message. He blinked it open. Synth's recorded voice filled his helmet. Joa, I'll be in deep space by the time you hear this. I... Her swallow was audible. It's the coward's way, leaving a comrade behind. That's what I was taught. That's what I believe. And here I am, a coward and a hypocrite. But do I have a choice? The thing is, I don't know who, or even what you are. I decided whatever you are, I owe you an explanation, at least. Joa's knees weakened and he sunk to the ground. He and Synth hadn't been close, not like Laura. 
But this? The transient nature was his home. It couldn't be... gone. I unlocked the missing logs from the Kruger mission. Thank you for the passkey, Adonis. Maybe that has meaning to you, but it's weak security. She giggled, a sound bordering on hysteria. I'm still arguing with you like you're human. Maybe part of you is, and that part is wondering what I'm talking about. I'll attach the logs to this message to help explain. There were three attachments. The logs, the drill data from Kruger, and the local drill data. Joa could read them later. Laura rescued you from Kruger. You think the opposite, but the logs are clear on this. They also say you were DOA. I keep saying you like I'm talking to Joa. Joa is dead. Here's Laura from the logs. The audio clicked and Laura's voice played. Laura Arkes, ship time 1810, Route 6, Rev 4, Circuit 365EX. Joa Cetus, all vitals absent, pronounced dead. A single sob ended the clip. These past two circuits, Joa had avoided hearing Laura's voice. Memories were plentiful and painful enough. But now... He reran the clip. What she said made no sense. The professional control at the beginning was true Laura, and the raw emotion of the last word... No one could fake that. He ran it again. And again, an endless loop that left him quivering. The dog nudged him with its nose, then sat on its haunches beside him. Joa leaned against its side. He drew a shuddering breath and licked the salt from his lips before letting the recording play on. Synth spoke again. Surreal, right? If Laura is alive and Joa is dead, then who the one nuts am I talking to? The logs don't answer that because the next record is six hours later of you, whoever you are, airlocking Laura's remains. Laura appeared, as she had before, in a white flowing gown. She walked slowly toward Joa, unsmiling, but her eyes were kind. Why don't you take that suit off? How are you here? Joa reached for her. Laura laughed and leaned against Joa. She ran a hand through her hair and pulled out a strand, letting it fall to the ground. I'm glad I gave you this. I've made such friends here, down below. Her weight was real, not a ghost then. Joa trembled. A ghost would be easier to understand. Synth played on, her voice more controlled. I checked the drill results from Kruger. Some unique viruses and a new phylum of archaea. A modest find. Then I remembered your strange DNA. 0.1% foreign. So I ran a comparison. The new Archaea's DNA matched. A subset of their DNA is in your chromosomes. Not possible. Unless you were recreated. Laura fumbled with the fastenings to Joa's helmet. You needn't hide from us anymore. We're all anxious to meet you. Joa grabbed her hand. Too late. The helmet seal parted with a hiss and air seeped in, sweet and cool. The local drill results were more interesting. Earth-like DNA predominated up to five kilometers down, but the 0.2% non-Earth DNA? Another match to the Kruger DNA. That suggests a common origin, a star-faring species, or a parasite that rides a host, or makes a doppelganger. Is that what you are? 
The lower five kilometers were stranger still. The cell structures there are advanced, differentiated, like they're part of something large. I don't have enough sample to know what, but I do have enough to retire on. A better fate than poor Laura. The helmet came away, silencing Synth. Relief flooded Joa. He didn't want to know what he was, or what Laura was. She was here, that's all that mattered. Together, they stripped away the rest of his suit, then lay in the grass, fingers entwined. I missed you, Joa said. Laura smiled. You're home now. Come below and meet the others. They've been waiting for you for an eternity. Her smile stretched as her skin sagged. She was melting, just like before. But Joa wasn't afraid. The sun warmed him and he spread across the ground, draining into it, becoming one with it, with everything. The dog licked what was left of Joa's face and howled. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there you go. Big thank you, Aaron. Aaron, thank you, lad. <gasps> Lovely. Great, great story. Oh, great story. And Anthony, always a pleasure. Squire, thank you so much. So... Amy, have you been watching the WandaVision? Let me know. And, Ames. Hello, my friends. It's time for another look back into genre history. Or rather, it's almost time. (laughs) With your indulgence, I would like to start with a bit of an advertisement. Or, actually, an invitation. I wanted to share with you something that I will be doing this summer that I'm really excited about. I am once again working with Signum University to bring an online, international, interactive course that is available both for degree-seeking students who are pursuing their Master's of Arts and also just for interested people around the world who are not seeking a degree but simply want to audit and be a part of the class. The class is called Exploring Star Trek, 
and it will be 12 weeks starting in May of 2021. That is 36 hours of interactive lecture. You can attend live online or you can watch recorded at your leisure. And I'm really excited about the class. Here is the official course description. Now in its sixth decade, the multimedia Star Trek franchise has engaged the imaginations of generations of fans. Star Trek creators have refined many of the ingredients of Star Trek storytelling over the years, including using the metaphors of science fiction to both wrestle with timeless moral dilemmas and philosophical questions, and also make timely critiques of political and social problems. Other aspects of Star Trek, such as its optimistic, even utopian vision of the future, have been complicated and revised from time to time. This course will explore how Star Trek has changed science fiction and popular culture, not only through producing hit television series, films, novels, games, and merchandise, but also by precedent-setting global fan participation in the form of fan campaigns, conventions, and transformative works, fan fiction, fan film, cosplay, etc., how does each installment of the Star Trek story embody the hopes and fears of the time in which it was made? How has the imagination, innovation, and diversity displayed in Star Trek changed our reality today and kept, or perhaps failed to keep, the franchise relevant? How has Star Trek storytelling evolved, and where will it go next? These are some of the questions we will consider as we boldly go where no Signum University class has gone before. We will also have a special guest or two in class. One of those will be, and I'm very excited about this, New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Una McCormack. She is the author of multiple Star Trek works, including Star Trek Discovery, The Way to the Stars from 2019, the autobiography of Catherine Janeway from 2020, which just came out as an audiobook narrated by Kate Mulgrew herself, Star Trek Picard, The Last Best Hope, also 2020, and many Star Trek Deep Space Nine novels, including Prophecy and Change, Worlds of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Volume 1, Cardassia, Hollow Men, The Never-Ending Sacrifice, Typhon Pact Brinksmanship, The Fall, Crimson Shadow, The Missing, and a brilliant novel, Enigma Tales. That one was 2017. She will be live with us for a class meeting of Exploring Star Trek. Okay, so all of that is to say, please consider yourself invited if you are interested in exploring the history and meaning of Star Trek. And if you are interested, please check out Signum University. That's S-I-G-N-U-M university.org and check on future courses. Registration is open now. Thank you for <laughs> your patience with my little announcement there. And now, back to your regularly scheduled looking back into genre history. Today I'd like to talk about a new work, actually two works, of scholarship about one of the most important living science fiction authors today. And yes, one of my favorites as well. And that is Lois McMaster Bujold. She is one of the most acclaimed 
authors in science fiction and fantasy. In fact, one way to explain her impact is to note that the Hugo Awards began giving Hugo Awards for Best Series in 2017. And in 2017, her science fiction series, The Vorkosigan Saga, won Best Series. And the next year, in 2018, her fantasy series, The World of the Five Gods series, also known as the Chalian series, won Best Series. So in the first two years of the Hugo Awards for Best Series, Lois McMaster Bujold won twice. She's won multiple other Hugo Awards, the Nebula Award, the Mythopaic Award, the World Fantasy Award. She's won the Forey Award for Lifetime Achievement. And in 2019, she was named the 36th Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America Grand Master. She's been publishing since the 1980s, and she is still publishing today. And one of the things that I'm struck by in her very humane and imaginative and forward-thinking works is that when people today talk about why don't we ever see science fiction or fantasy with X, whether that is with middle-aged characters or with non-binary characters or with characters with disabilities or with characters with different sexual orientations and different kinds of romantic relationships or stories that think outside of the box in this way or think beyond tired tropes in this way. I usually have the voice in the back of my head saying, well, actually... Lois McMaster Bujold has already done that, and it's true. That is not to say that we shouldn't be continually pushing the envelope and looking for more and different and better always, but the point is I think people, because of her success and because of her staying power, sometimes overlook how revolutionary she has consistently been. And that is perhaps in some way me saying, hey, there ought to be more Lois McMaster Bujold analyses, more scholarly attention, more conversation. And fortunately, that is what I'm here to talk about today. The first trailblazing work of scholarship about Bujold is the 2013 book Lois McMaster Bujold, Essays on a Modern Master of Science Fiction and Fantasy. That is from the Critical Explorations in Science Fiction and Fantasy series from McFarland, and that is edited by Janet Brennan-Croft. And full disclosure, I do have an essay in that work. It is called From Both Sides Now, Bujold and the Fan Fiction Phenomenon. And actually, if you will go back to Starship Sofa episodes 476 and 484, I talk about my work in those episodes. But as you may have noticed, or <laughs> if you're like me, it's crept up on me, 2013 is some time ago. Fortunately, there is a terrific new work published in 2020 from Liverpool University Press called Biology and Manners. Essays on the Worlds and Works of Lois McMaster Bujold. That is edited by Regina Young Lee and Una McCormack. Yes, the same Dr. McCormack I was talking about earlier. And here is the quick description, official description of the book. 
This volume of essays continues the establishment of Lois McMaster Bujold as an important author of contemporary science fiction and fantasy. It argues persuasively that Bujold's corpus spans the distance between two full arcs of U.S. feminism and has anticipated or responded to several of its current concerns in ways that invite or even require theoretical exploration. The 14 essays collected here provide wide-ranging scholarly analyses of Bujold's work and world so far, covering not only the science fiction and fantasy series, but taking into account the wealth of ancillary material inspired by her works, such as fan fiction and role-playing games, examining the major series through a range of perspectives, including feminist readings, queer theory, and disability studies. This volume aims to establish beyond doubt the seriousness of intent behind Bujold's various artistic projects and provide a set of rich readings of this engaging, experimental, playful, and popular author. Well, that sets up quite a tall order for this anthology of essays. And the great thing is it really delivers. This is an important work. And although there are several different theoretical and disciplinary lenses used, I want to say this is also a largely jargon-free and very accessible work for anyone who isn't spending all of their time reading scholarly journals, for example, but who is interested in thoughtful discussions of her work. It's really a terrific achievement. And one of the first essays in the work is one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. (laughs) I'm a happy gal when I find a really well-written bibliographic essay that basically says, here's everything that's been done on this. Here's where you can go find it. Here it is in chronological order, and here it is as it considers the conversations and the way that different works speak to each other. I just love the big intellectual map that says, X, here you are in the conversation. Here's the part of the conversation you've missed so far. Here's how to catch up on it. And here are some new and interesting conversations that are just getting started. Love, love a good bibliographic essay. And Robin Ann Reed contributes The History of Scholarship on Lois McMaster Bujold's Science Fiction and Fantasy, a feminist bibliographic essay. This is great stuff. There are also several sections besides a section on the emergence of Bujold studies, and those sections of essays include one on Bujold's women. There is an essay there by Catherine Woods that's particularly interesting, looking at the intertextual uh, connection between one of the later heroines to emerge in Bujold's Verkozygan saga and Austin's Fanny Price in the novel Mansfield Park. That was very useful to me personally. There's a section on heroes' journeys in different works by Bujold. There's a section on potential futures and imagined pasts. A section on holy families. And beyond the books, the last section, also one that's particularly important contribution here, looking at role-playing games and their source books, uh, fan fiction, and other ways that 
readers and audience members have connected to and expanded on and commented on and interacted with Bujold's works. This anthology really does cover a lot of ground with depth and insight, and again, in a very accessible way. But wait! There's more! (laughs) Exciting news! If it sounds like this might be kind of thing that you would be interested in, in looking at some serious conversations about a really stellar author. Well, editors Una McCormack and Regina Young-Lee have made it possible for you to have a free glimpse inside by providing a kind of PS, a follow-up to this edited collection. They've done an ebook symposium, which they call Short But Concentrated, that contains five short essays that go even further, that pick up on late-breaking themes and works and other conversations about Lois McMaster Bujold. There are five essays, including reflections on her recent Penrick novellas, The Knife Children, a really interesting and important conversation about you may recall, you may not recall, the race-fail debate of 2009. I remember that very well. If you don't know what I'm talking about, here is how Fanlore describes it. Quote, Race-fail 09 is one of the names given to a large and tangled snarl of racism, misunderstanding, culture clash, bad behavior, and hurt, which consumed several interconnected corners of fandom in early 2009. End quote. Uh, this sort of began with a post on Elizabeth Bear's live journal and then was reignited with the publication of Patricia Reed's The Thirteenth Child, which was quite controversial. If you don't remember this, there were a lot of really important points made and a lot of very difficult thorny issues addressed, and it was also kind of an internet meltdown. And it was proof that you didn't need Twitter in the old days to still have the online equivalent of a massive bar brawl. But like many other people who are both authors and involved in fandom, Lois McMaster Bujol did take part in that conversation, and that is something that has begged for serious and sober analysis, and now it's gotten it. And lastly, there's also a short essay on alternate universe, or AU, fan fiction about Bujold's Vorkosigan series. These essays are short, but they pack a punch, and they are very, very much worth reading. Think of them as an appetizer plate before the main anthology. And the really fantastic part about uh, this little collection, short but concentrated, great description there, uh, is that it is free. It is available online for free download as an ebook. So if you go to Una McCormack's website, which is Una McCormack, U N A M C C O R M A C K dot co dot uk and look under books you will find short but concentrated this e-symposium following up on the edited collection biology and manners and multiple options for downloading that anthology in various ebook formats 
I really love that the editors did this and made this available. It is so reader-friendly and accessible and important. And I hope that other editors will take a page from this book, if you will. If you are interested in Lois McMaster-Bujold's work, I really do encourage you to check out these books. If you're not, maybe this will encourage you to check out Bujold's writing. But I think it's also really important to underscore that these analyses also show scholars and academics taking popular culture seriously. Online discussions and debates, fan fiction, role-playing games, fan interaction with texts, popular works as important works that have meaning, have something to say. This is near and dear to my heart, just because an author is popular or that her works are published in certain genres doesn't mean that that author and her works are beneath serious conversation. Quite the opposite. And I cheer for Una McCormack and Regina Young Lee for recognizing what they call the seriousness of intent behind Bujold's works, and also for making short but concentrated available to all of us so easily. So again, that book is Biology and Manners, Essays on the Worlds and Works of Lois McMaster Bujold, and that is from Liverpool University Press from 2020. And then the follow-up collection, short but concentrated, an ebook symposium, is available for free download at unamccormack.co.uk, and I encourage you to check that out. And I look forward to joining you again very soon with something completely different when we get together to take another look back into genre history. Stay safe and well, my friends. Thank you. Amy, Amy, big hugs, Amy. Thank you so much, lass. Oh, lovely, thank you. So that is 654, put to bed, tucked up and wrapped up and put to bed. Again, let us know what you feel about WandaVision. That would be great. Starshipsover at gmail.com. And, hey, listen, tip jar, you know what I mean? Patreon, that would be fantastic. Or PayPal. Just come onto the website, that would be brilliant. Until next week, just like you say, good night from me. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets, I'm pointing them to the moon. But the work is going slowly. It won't get to you anytime soon. Can you? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here, and at best I move. So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal?
signal getting through. Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 